Well, this morning I want to spend a little time talking about conversations that we had at YWAM and of various people that we spoke with there and uh, how the Lord directed those conversations um, with various people. Um, now, the whole organization at YWAM is a very open um, feeling. It's a very open campus, if you will. And there's a lot of people that come in, in and out of that organization, from young people, like I said earlier, from ages 17 to 30, which is what it was in Aubrey's DTS, or Discipleship Training School. And then there's other discipleship training schools going on for all other ages. There's Crossroads, which is for adults, and there's... Um, one for film and uh, the film industry going on there because they're going to make some movies there as well. Um, uh, Lauren Cunningham's son, David, is a movie producer, and they're building a whole Hollywood movie uh, ability to create movies there. Um, so there's people of all walks of life. And so a very interesting dynamic in this organization. And there are people from all parts of the world. Um, we talked to people from Brazil, talked to people from New Zealand, Talk to people from Asia, a lot of Asians there. Um, and you know, here's the deal, that as we walked around that campus and as we had breakfast, lunch, and dinners there and mingled with the people, um, there were people that were so different than us in appearance, in clothing style, but yet we all had Jesus in common. We all could talk the same language when it came to Christ. You can sit down with anybody at any time at any table and you strike, a, strike up a conversation and you had that in common because they were all there because they loved Jesus with all their hearts. See, this is an organization that is not typical. If someone was to describe YWAM today and say that they're going, they have a vision about how they're going to put an organization like this together and how it's going to be successful, I would look at that from a business model perspective and say, you're crazy. It's never going to work. Because everyone there is paying their own way to be there. No one is paid. Even to the very top level, Lauren Cunningham and all the director levels, no one is paid. They all raise their own finances to be there. So here you have people from all parts of the world that are there on a totally 100% volunteer basis. Not only volunteer, but they are sacrificing of themselves to be there. And it's been working for over 50 years. And they've sent hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of young people and other people into the world to minister to the gospel of Christ. And it's an amazing organization. They have testimonies beyond what we can, under, what we can believe. And they also have a messiness beyond what we can believe. And here's the deal. It all works for Christ. And so I want to talk a little bit about some of the conversations that we had and how the Lord spoke to us through that and really and spoke into our church uh, through this um, opportunity for us to be there. I, one of the first oppor opportunities I had to speak with a, a woman from Brazil, and her name was Andrea. And, uh, and her husband, she and her husband were there and their children, and uh, they were YWAMers, uh, been in YWAM about 10 years. And as we spoke, we, we spoke about seasons of life. And really, she really spoke into me a lot without knowing it because she talked about our church. She described really our church being that as we put Christ at the center of our life, through the various seasons of life that we go through, how Christ keeps us in balance 
as we go through the seasons of life because we all go through them. And it's important, it's vitally important that we understand that God uses the times of our life for his purposes, even when we don't clearly understand them. Um, And as we keep Christ at the center point of our life, how important that is because that gives us room to move and still be in the will of God. (laughs) See, if I keep him right at the center, and if I envision life as a funnel, okay, and Christ in the center, because I'm going to make mistakes, even as I try to follow Christ, I'm going to make mistakes in maybe what I hear or what I do. But if Christ is the center right here, and if I make a mistake here a little bit, and if I'm and my funnel of life is this wide, and if I'm keeping Christ at the center, then I have room to maneuver in that funnel and make some mistakes. But if I'm living on the edge and make some mistakes, I may find myself find myself well off the track, and and that is that's where we have problems. So keeping Christ at the center point of my life, that doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means I'm going to make mistakes, but when I make mistakes, I'm still in the funnel of God's will, and God still says, hey, come on this way just a little bit. You're just getting a little off track, so come on back to the center. And I do that through daily devotion. I do that through a daily relationship with Jesus that I come before him every day and say, God, how am I doing? Forgive me. I I made some mistakes. I said some things I shouldn't have said. I I, I did some things I shouldn't have done. And and he's so faithful and just to forgive. Amen. As I keep him at the center. And so we spoke about that. And and then we started to talk about how um, we become more about ourselves. And we don't understand why I have to do some of the things that I do or why others don't have to do the same thing that I do. And it's not fair that I can't live where I want to live and to do what I want to do. And I think I have a better idea. And as we were talking about that, we both recognized and said, how many times have we said the word I? In all those areas of complaints, how many times did the word I come up? Because it was all focused on me and focused on my needs rather than focusing on what God wants me to do. And when I can understand that the significance of life is not about me, but it's about Jesus, how different approach I take, how much different my approach to living becomes. Because now I speak about God, and I I speak about what He's wanting me to do rather than what I want me to do. And how that frees us to do that. And, and God's, and clearly our lives are, are made for different seasons for different reasons. You know, a, a good example of that is, is we have four distinct seasons up here in Michigan. We have summer, winter, fall, and spring. Well, they're supposed to be distinct. Uh, sometime this summer, I'm not sure if we really had summer sometimes. But, but when we have those four distinct seasons, they come for a reason. And here's the deal. There's nothing we can do to shorten them, prevent them or lengthen them. They are God-given and God-set up and God-ordained. And when we can learn how to live in the seasons properly without complaining about the seasons, we can begin to enjoy the seasons and actually become effective in the seasons. And they are unique and they bring their own set of circumstances and issues to deal with. You know, for example, I see a lot of four-wheel trucks driving around here 
and come the first um, days of snowflakes in the air, wisely they start putting on their snow plows. And that's appropriate because they put their snow plows on when it becomes that season in life because a lot of these men make money plowing snow and we need to have snow plowers in December and January and February, don't we? But yet if I saw that same man with that four-wheel drive put a snow plow on the week of Venetian, I would say, man, you're in the wrong season. It doesn't make sense. Even though the snow plow fits on that truck, and even though that that's an appropriate thing to him to do, he has to do it only in the season to do it in. And likewise, in our Christian life, sometimes we don't recognize the season that God has placed us in, and we want to go back and put on the snow plow in the wrong season of the year. So rather than try to force some things, even though it's appropriate, it's not the right season for that. So when we see God moving, rather than throwing up our hackles and fighting against God, we say, God, give me some discernment. What is the season of life that I'm in right now? What should I be doing right now that is effective for the season that you've placed me in? So it makes sense then that we recognize that, that we, run, we understand that God has given seasons. I mean, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us that. We're just not making this up. If you look at chapter 3 of the book of Ecclesiastes, the first 14 verses, it gives us a whole list. It says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain, refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Did you hear me, Chris? <laughs> um, a time to tear and a time to mend a time to be silent and a time to speak okay I'll be silent here right now. a time to love and a time to hate a time for war and a time for peace and this is where we're going to get a lot of meat what do workers gain from their toil I have seen the burden of God God has laid on the human race he has made everything beautiful in its time he has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. You know, I would encourage us all to go back and reread that last three verses from 9 through 14, or five verses, 9 through 14 of that, and, and ask the Lord, God, where am I in this? Am I trying to force some things in my life? Am I trying to run from some things in my life? There is a time for us to discern where we're currently in and find the pleasure that God has for us while we're in that time. Working and toiling, um, it's all part of life. Life is not a vacation, though I wish it was. I would love to go back to Hawaii for the next 50 weeks and uh, do what I just did if I could afford it. But I can't. I have to come back, and I have to work, and I have to toil, and I have to do the things that God has placed me in for the time of life that I'm in. 
and so do you. God works his perfect plan through his timing. And boy, when the more we can understand that, the more that we can understand and believe that God's plan for us is true and there's a promise associated with it. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. What promise is there in that? Can you imagine that we serve a God that knows who I am, knows who you are, and he has a plan for you, and all we have to do is find it and live in it? That's an amazing concept. It's like no other religion in the world. All other religions have to, we have to work, 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 work to qualify. In our faith in Christ, it's our belief and our faith that gives us the free salvation of grace. And then we take grace to its fulfillment that says, okay, let the Holy Spirit do the changing. And now I then work as a result of the grace, not to earn the grace, but as a result of that, now I toil and I work and I labor in the vineyard. Because we want to, we want to reap, like we were talking about for a number of weeks ago, sowing and reaping. We want to reap a harvest of righteousness. So it only makes sense then that we would seek God's plan for us and not forge ahead of God, thinking that we have the better idea or the better way and the better timing. We said all that over breakfast. <laughs> now we didn't get into all the detail, but that's kind of the thrust of it. And that really fed a lot into me. So I, I thank her, Andrea, for that that conversation that we, we talked and we met a few other times throughout the week and, and we always kind of came back to that little vein of thinking. We were there um, for the whole week was Holy Spirit Week. And um, that was the week that they were teaching, preaching on the Holy Spirit. And we went specifically that week because of that. We wanted to hear um, the teaching and experience the experience that these kids go through on Holy Spirit Week. Like every organization, when Aubrey decided to go there a year or two years ago, you question what they're about. You know, what are their beliefs? What do they really believe? What do they really do? And um, we certainly had questions. Um, my experience last year was really good. My, our experience this year was even better uh, as we were able to experience how the Lord moved in young people. Now, these young kids, most of them came from various denominations, and most of them did not have a Pentecostal upbringing. Uh, they came from all types of uh, different churches and religions. Uh, some of them were even cessationists, believing that the Holy Spirit wasn't for today. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit came and blew some socks off. I mean, literally. I mean, people were, these kids were slain in the Spirit and speaking in tongues, and, and it was an amazing work to be a part of that. I wish that we could replicate it. I wish that I could show you the videos of it. Um, but Chris and I had great opportunities to learn from the teacher as well as experience the freedom. She taught for a couple hours, and then we had a couple hours of body ministry where uh, they laid hands on people and they expected God to move and the Holy Spirit moved. And uh, for some, it was immediate. For some that came that they didn't have a lot of baggage, man, the moment the people started to pray for them, they started speaking in their heavenly language, and they received, and uh, many people were slain in the Spirit, and many people had divine revelations and, and awesome. Others had to work for it. Others had to work through some issues because we have baggage, and uh, they had to unlearn 
some learned behaviors, and some are still learning. Um, I am. <laughs> I'm still learning. I have learned behaviors that the Lord's saying, I don't like your learned behaviors, so I'm going to continue to work on me. And I believe he's probably trying to work on you, too, that we all have to continue to learn and move. But, but in this, um, they were really, um, it was really a, uh, an amazing experience um, to see and be a part of that. Um, I had, um, we, we did exercise some different uh, gifts of uh, the Spirit, um, discernment, uh, knowledge, wisdom, um, healing, uh, prophetic ministry. I had one young man come up and pray with us, pray with me specifically, and uh, he knew I was a pastor, but that's all he knew. But he kind of read into my life, and this is what he told me. He said he saw our church flowing with people. I mean, he said actually overflowing with people of all types coming into our church. And then he went on to describe the fact that we had a cross shape that marked our church as being different in our community. Basically, he described our logo that we just recently defined as being just that and how that Christ is at the center point. And, uh, and, and as we have a proper relationship with God through the vertical branch of our cross that we bear, that it gives us the ability to work horizontally with people and be relevant. And I sat there, and I, and I pulled out my wallet, and I showed him my, our business card. I said, man, you just described who we are. And, uh, you know, and, and I received that prophecy from that young man. And I received it knowing that when God brings prophecy into a person's life, there's a couple things that have to happen. I have to, it has to be received, and then we have to let God work in it in his proper timing. Now, I don't see our church overflowing with people today. I mean, I see our church to be underwhelmed at this point. But I see God, but I'm claiming God's promises. I'm claiming that as a prophetic word that this church will overflow with people of all types, not people that just look like me or you, but people that are going to push us a little bit out of our comfort zones as we learn to minister to people. And I receive that in Jesus' name. And now, now what I have to do in addition to receive that, I have to put it into effort, and I have to put it into work, and I have to work for it. And I have to lead and encourage you to work for that as well because it's our body, not a person's body. It's not mine. It's not my church. It's our church. It's the body of Christ, and it's going to look various ways to various people. So I received that word from him, and I said thank you, and I prayed for him, and we had a, we had a, a good embrace, and I walk away from that thinking that thank you, Jesus, for all that. And I, I understand that. We spoke with others about the messiness of organizations, including the messiness within YWAM, because after 50 years of working the way they've been working, they've had... Uh, a few mess-ups. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay to have a few mess-ups in life. It's all right. We put too much emphasis on perfection, and we put too much emphasis on wanting to be part of organizations that are perfect. And in case you don't know it, life gets messy. In case you don't realize it right now, life is not perfect. It's not supposed to be perfect. It's not intended to be perfect. It's going to get messy. 
And what does that mean and what does it look like? Well, it means this. It means a, new, a number of things. It means that, first of all, whenever you get two people in a room, you're going to disagree. People don't always agree. People don't always do what they say they're going to do. People let other people down. People assume other people are going to do the work for them. People start strong and many times end badly, sometimes even in failure. And even with the best intentions that people have, people still hurt people. I don't know that anyone would intentionally come up to hurt someone, but yet we do, don't we? We do in the things we say and maybe in how things are said. I know that I've hurt people. I know that I've hurt people in my preaching and my teaching and the way I've come across to some people. I didn't mean to. It wasn't my intention to do that. But because of maybe the, the emotional state that I was in or maybe the way I presented the topic, maybe I hurt people. Well, I'm sorry for that. I really am sorry. I wasn't intended to hurt anyone. But that doesn't change the gospel. It doesn't change the message. It doesn't change what the Bible says. The Bible is going to be offensive. In a dark world, light is not welcomed. When people are doing things under cover of darkness, they don't want to be revealed. They don't want to be exposed. That's why they work in darkness. And so when light comes into a situation, you're going to ruffle some feathers. The challenge is, how do we deal with messiness? How do we accept it? How do we handle it? How do we work in that? How do we work through the issues of people that have been hurt in formal church relationships? How many times have pastors betrayed people? How many times has people betrayed people? So what do you do with that? Do you throw it out? Do you throw the church out? Do you say, well, I'm not going to be a part of an organization anymore because that organization is messy? I don't think Lauren Cunningham, I don't think the people at YWAM would have survived a year if they expected perfection out of an organization like this. And I don't think we as a church should also expect perfection in our church because we're not going to be. So let's just blow the cover off that lid right now. And let's just say, guys, we're going to make mistakes. Factor it in, exactly. I know I'm going to make mistakes. I know I'm going to say things that I shouldn't say. I know people are going to get up and give prophetic words that are going to be offensive. I know people may even be wrong in their words they give. But that's okay. We can deal with that, can't we? We can forgive people because we know the heart intention is not to hurt people. And therefore, then, we can, uh, we can understand that God has established some things. See, God, God established a long time ago that he was going to work his plan, his perfect plan, in this world through people. God is perfect. God always does the right thing. He never makes a mistake. But in his perfect planning, he decided to use imperfect people. That doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> Why would God do that? Why would he purposely decide to work his perfect plan through imperfect people and then expect his plan to come out? Only by God's grace. Only by the grace of God can we expect God to work in a perfect plan in imperfect people. And when we allow him to do that, it works out. See, God sees that people are going to have huge gaps and flaws of integrity, huge gaps, gaps and flaws of character, huge issues to deal with. So why should we expect any different? 
maybe we should take a cue from God. <laughs> See, if God can expect it and deal with it, then maybe I should be able to expect it and deal with it. Why should I hold you to be perfect when God doesn't? And why should you expect me to be perfect when God doesn't? So as I make a mistake, can we work together on this? As you make a mistake, can we come together and forgive each other and learn to love and embrace each other even on our flaws? Even in the messiness of an organization like this? And I think when we can start to do that, we'll win. You see, we, come, we have an enemy. We have a foe. And his, we know, know who he is. He's Satan. He's the devil. He's the accuser of the brethren. And he comes into organizations like a church or like a YWAM or like a family, any God-established organization, and he wants to blow it apart. He wants to come in and destroy it. He wants to come in and ruin reputations of people so that he can then use it against people. So when we understand our, our adversary and understand what his plan is to use imperfections against imperfect people, he will, put under, he, will, he will make us think we have to be perfect before we can be used of God. Well, let's understand the devil is a liar. He cannot speak truth. He can speak partial truths, but at the end there always comes the hook of the lie. And understand who he comes from. So the devil would tell us right now, he said, he will tell us, you're better off on your own. He's better off, you're better off. Don't get in an organized group of people. You don't need church. You can be a Christian all by yourself. There's some truth in that. But there's more untruth in that. Because if that's the case, if we can really do this on our own, then I think God must have been wrong when he said in the garden in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So he made a helper suitable for man. And I don't think we can limit that just to a husband and wife relationship. That helperness goes into all aspects of life. He, he created man to need to be in union with other men. As in Proverbs 2.17, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. We need community. We need people. We need to be together. So if the devil comes to you and says, You don't need church. You can do this on your own. He's lying to you. Or otherwise, Jesus must have been mistaken as well. When he commanded the 120 people to gather together in the upper room in unity so that the Holy Spirit could come. Where then he birthed the church. Where the church became a church that day when 120 people of various backgrounds, but yet in unity and their service to the, for Christ, and their love for Christ came together and the Holy Spirit fell. And here's an interesting thing that was brought up on, on, in Holy Spirit Week. In the process of the day of Pentecost, they're all together, sitting there for 10 days, waiting for, the, wait, waiting for the day of Pentecost to come so that the Holy Spirit could fall. There came a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and there came a tongue of fire that came down. And this is really a unique opportunity to, wait, to, wait to look at different people's gifts. It was one tongue of fire that came, and when it came in the room, it split into different, 120 different flames that landed on this person, and this person, and this person, and this person. It was the same spirit, different flames. Hear that? Different gifts go with each flame. 
So it's not like they came, 120 different little flames came down from heaven and set on different people. No, one flame came down, one flame of fire came down, and then it broke apart. It went pop, 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 pop. And it broke apart and started setting on people, and then their gifts became evident. And that's the same way in our church today. We need the Holy Spirit today as much as they ever needed it. We are not in a cessational period of time. The Holy Spirit is for today. And we need to operate and move in the gifts of the Spirit today. And we can't afford to get ourselves off balance on this and, and, and make it all about tongues or all about this or all about that. There's various levels of gifts. They all need to be flowing as one Spirit, multiple gifts. And we need people. We need people in an organization like this. We need community to be pleasing to the Lord. And in all the messiness of various organizations, we need to be connected and stay connected. And then we spoke about, I was having this conversation with another gentleman over lunch there, and, and we spoke about here, here you have a choice. Everybody in an organization has a choice to be one or the other. You can either be a part of the solution or you can be part of the problem. But you can't be neutral. There is no middle ground on this one. You're either going to be part of the problem or a part of the solution, but you can't be in the middle because if you're in the middle, you really are part of the problem. So we have to purposely look at what's going on in our organization, what's going on in our body of church, what's going on in our family, what's going on in anything that you're part of in your business or your social life when you come together under Christ and say, all right, now what am I going to do? Am I going to be the gossiper? Am I going to be the backbiter? Am I going to be the backstabber? Or am I going to just do what needs to be done in order to heal the relationships? Hard. But yet it's the right thing to do. It's loving and it's the right thing to do. So we need to understand that and we need to look at that. And, and we need to know that, that in every organization, especially an organization that's based on volunteers, because that's what church is all about. That's what YWAM is all about. That's different than going into your job tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock and reporting in and punching a clock, because as soon as you punch the clock, you're not a volunteer anymore. You're paid. And your boss has some control over you because he owns you, because you're his slave. He's paying you to be there. And therefore, you have an obligation to do what your boss tells you to do because you're taking money, you're taking for, for that service, right? That's a different relationship between a boss-employee relationship as it is when it comes into a volunteer organization like a church or like a YWAM. So here's the situation then. If, I'm, if I am in a, a volunteer, I have to know that I have a set of expectations that I do because I know they're right, not because I'm paid to do that. And I know it's, it's different because when I have a boss-employee relationship, I have a hammer that I can use with my employee, I can say, you're going to do what I tell you to do or you're going to get a pay cut or I will fire you. I can't give Jill a pay cut because she doesn't make anything anyways when she does the bulletins. <laughs> I can't put any pressure on Jill. I can't give Jackie a pay cut any more than she already has because we don't pay her to lead worship. I can't give you any, I can't hammer anybody here because you have, you're here for your, by your free choice to be here. 
And so here we have a different set of dynamics and it comes into the church relationship because now we're basing people to do what's right because they know what's right, not because they have to. Paul understood that and he gave us his instruction on what it means to be a follower of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Boy, that's so important right there. Because I know it's easy to do things when people are watching. It's easy to do something when your boss is watching or, boy, I want to raise my hands when um, the pastor walks by me because I want to see him praising the Lord. No, that's nonsense. It's not about the pastor. It's not about anybody. It's about doing things in the absence of people where it's just you and Jesus because he's the one that matters anyways. It's nothing to do with people. So let's continue on what Paul said. He says, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So Paul just described a volunteer organization to work harder because you are in a volunteer organization than you would if you were paid to do something. Colossians chapter 3, he says it again a little different way. He says in verse 3, chapter, tw- uh, chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Wow. Isn't, doesn't that give me a different perspective on life? When I know that whatever I do in church or at home or on my job, if I can look at it and say, I'm not working for man, I'm working for Jesus. And I'm going to be rewarded by what I do for Jesus. That gives me a different perspective on cutting up some fruit. It gives me a different perspective of sweeping the floor. It gives me a different perspective of doing the bulletin, of leading worship, of cutting the grass, whatever it is. It gives me a different perspective when I know that I'm doing it as unto the Lord and not unto man. Because whatever a man can reward you with, it's at best temporary. What the Lord rewards you with is eternal. It's something that you're going to get a benefit from in one billion years from now. You're still going to be benefited by what you did today. Isn't that awesome? Isn't, it, is, isn't that a great revelation when the Lord opens up your, when he opens up your mind to that? See, God is more thrilled. If you take anything away from today, take this away right now. In fact, write this down. God is more thrilled when we come to him with our availability versus our ability. Did you hear that? He's more thrilled when I'm available more than my ableness. My availability is more important than my ability. Why? Well, because God gave me my abilities in the first place. He's not impressed with what I can do. He's not impressed with what I can say or how I can, how, how I can say it or what I can learn because he's given me the ability to do that. But what moves the heart of God is when I'm available 
to use those abilities to further his kingdom. Because, see, God gave us grace freely, right? Our salvation is a free gift that he gave to us. Now, I'm giving back to him freely my ability. He can't take it from me. He can't force me to be available. I have to give it to him as a gift. Just like his grace was free to me, I can't take it from him, and I can't earn it on my own. It's a gift. So we're into gift giving. God gives me grace, and I give him my ability. And all of a sudden now, we're in union together because he's given me something that I can't do on my own, and I've given him something that he can't take from me because I have to give it to him. And now when I give him my abilities, watch out. Because now you can be used of God. Watch out, because now things are going to happen in the kingdom. When you go to him and say, God, I'm available, man, you are opening up the gates of heaven to fall on you, to do great things for the kingdom. You know, we, we heard and listened to a young lady. She's 26 years old. Her name is Kat Hoban. Kat spoke on the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm 54. Kate, Kate, Kat, or Catherine, could be my daughter. But yet, I was willing to sit and listen and learn from a young lady. Give me what I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. And I've been in church all my life. But yet, because she made herself available, and I made myself available with an open heart to hear, I learned new things from her. The testimonies that these kids gave and and to watch them minister to each other was amazing as God clearly wasn't waiting for them to become trained, (laughs) wasn't waiting for them to become mature. He was dumping on these young kids his grace and his mercy and his power even in their inabilities because they were available. And there's numerous biblical examples. I mean, look at David as a young shepherd boy slaying Goliath. Look at young Samuel in the house of Eli being called by God at night. He wasn't prepared. He wasn't studied up to do that. Look at Gideon being used to free the Israelites from their enemies, and he was the weakest man in the weakest tribe, but yet God called him a man of valor because he was available to be used. And then we see just the opposite happen in the, when, with the example. And this is where we get bent. Here Jesus is with his disciples, and this young, rich man walks up to him. A very wealthy young man walks up to him, and he says, God, Jesus, he says, good teacher, I've been keeping your commandments all my life. I've kept all the Ten Commandments. Now what do I need, need to do to receive eternal life? Jesus, operating under the gifts of the Spirit, discerned his heart, And he said, what you need to do is sell all you have and give it to the poor. And when the man couldn't do that, sadly, the man turned away and walked away. And Jesus' response was to let him walk. Now, my response would have been to say, wait, (laughs) I need your money to operate our church. So let's not, what I just said, I didn't really mean it. Just give me half or give me a piece. And Jesus isn't interested in a half. He's not interested in a piece. He wants it all. Not because he's greedy and not because he needs it. But I need it. The rich man needed to free himself of his obsession with himself, his obsession with his money, 
We're understanding that as he gave it to Jesus, Jesus would then give it back in a way that would be more beneficial to him to have. So here we would look at this and say, well, Jesus, you must be wrong. Again, Jesus, you must be wrong here because you could have used his resources to further your kingdom. And Jesus says, I don't need his resources. What I need is his availability. I don't need his abilities. I don't need his money. I need his heart. And he wasn't willing to give his heart. Therefore, Jesus let him walk away. The question for us all is, where are we in that? Where am I in that? Am I giving God the things that I give him? Am I thinking God is really impressed because I give him $10 a week in the offering? Am I thinking God's really impressed because I might read my Bible and pray throughout the week? Am I really, am I really thinking I'm impressing God because I prepare a sermon on Sunday mornings and I'm prepared to preach? Do you think that impresses God? No, not at all. In fact, if I thought that way, he would look at me as a, as a detestable, prideful, arrogant man. And I would be one of those men that are going to happen when I say, Lord, Lord, I knew I would come into his kingdom. And he would say, I never knew you because you really didn't understand what it was to be a servant. You really didn't understand what it was to be a follower of Christ. See, the real mystery here of following Jesus is that it's a free gift. It's a free gift. Did you hear me? It's a free gift, but yet it cost me everything. It's a free gift but yet it cost me everything. How do you get your arms around that one? How do you understand that? I, I can't understand that any more than I can understand how God never had a beginning. My mind just can't grasp those concepts, but yet they're godly. It's a free gift, but yet it cost me everything. And as I give him everything, what does he do? He turns around and gives me more, and he gives it to me in the way that is really beneficial to me. Because what I hold on to tightly, if I hold on to earthly things tightly, it's to my death. It's to my destruction. When I let these things go freely and say, God, they're yours. I'm yours. I'm available to be used of you. What he turns around then, he gives me eternal life. He gives me eternal rewards. And not only that, but he gives me fun in the process. Because it's fun to be used by God, isn't it? Think about it. All those that have witnessed to somebody, all those that have given of themselves to somebody, isn't there great fulfillment in seeing a gift given back to somebody else? Amen. There is so much into that. There is so much into living a life for Jesus today, knowing that he's going to reward you forever. And even for the moment. It's a great thing. So what did I get out of this visit this year? A lot. <laughs> I don't even know how to put boundaries on it. And I don't think, I think if you talk to my wife, I think she'll fill you up with a bunch of stuff too because she was filled up. I was so proud and so impressed because Chris thought we were going to church camp for a week. And she wasn't really interested in sitting through church camp for a week. But she sat through every one of those sessions and participated and ate it up because the Lord just ministered to both of us. Didn't, didn't he, Chris? It was awesome. What do I want to leave you with this morning? A lot. <laughs> I want you to, to, to come out of this day. I want you to come out of this experience, Lord, not just with a, a moment of energy, not just with a burst of godliness, but I want to be a continuing factor of godly productivity. 
And I know coming out of these kids, in fact, I really appreciated the leaders in this school talking to, to these kids about that they're there for three months, and then they're going to go into a three-month outreach. But guys, they would say, what we're really training you for right now is life. We're training you for 60 years, not six months. We're training you how to be godly people for all your life, not just the little bubble that we're in right now in the season of life that they're in because it is very powerful there. It is very amazing. I know Kathleen was there. Her girls went through YWAM. It's very powerful in that moment of time. But when that time moves into the next moment of time, we have to learn how to transition it into reality, into today, and not just make it a bunch of blips of eternalness, but make it a continuing factor of eternal life and living into it and promoting it and growing into that. So this morning, I guess I just want you to think about this morning how can you apply what I've tried to give to you today, how I've tried to, to put into words today, how can we all apply this to purposely walk our Christian life out? A great definition of one of the, we had a discussion with one of the younger men that read it, read it the last day we were there actually, and um, asked him about, well, what is YWAM to you? And he said, really the difference is, he said, YWAM, they don't believe anything that you don't differently than you believe. They believe the same things that most churches believe, at least the way the Assemblies of God believes, because they're basically come out of that mode. So they, they agree on a lot of concepts. The difference is a YWAMer lives it, mostly. In other words, these kids learn, and then they put it into practice, and they go out and do evangelism. They learn, and they get filled up with Jesus, and then they go out and share it. Now, the American church, what do we do? Are we really purposely living it out? I mean, just think about your life for the last week or two weeks. How many people have you talked to about Jesus? Of all the money you spent over the past two weeks, how much of it was for your own personal pleasure versus furthering the kingdom of God? How many people did you help physically or emotionally that put you out of your comfort zone? See, when we can start to ask questions like this of our life, I'm not trying to manipulate, not trying to condemn, not trying to convict. I'll let the Holy Spirit do that. I'm just trying to share um, a lifestyle of what it means to be a godly person. If you have the secret, don't you want to share it? If you have the secret to eternal life, why would you want to keep it? Why would you not want others to know about it? And that's what I want to leave you with this morning. I, I, want, to, I want to just help us all to give a better understanding of what it really is to be a Christian. Not from a negative, conforming perspective to say you have to be like us, you have to come and be like this church. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying how are you going to be like Christ? How are you going to be more Christ-like? That's the question for all of us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, um, I am so thankful that you've given us the ability to experience the past couple of weeks and to experience uh, you in a different way. And Lord, I pray now that we all as a church would recognize our giftings recognize what you've placed on us to do. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to be available, not worry about our ability or inability. Don't worry that I'm not maybe properly trained in all aspects. I just need to be available and then trust you through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak through me and would be effective through me. So God, I pray that as we go through this week and as we go through the next phase, the next season of our life, that we're not rushing through the seasons. We're not trying to slow them down or speed them up, but we're trying to purposely find your will in the seasons of life that we are effective and we're purposeful and that we are doing your work that you have already set us to do. God, I release the power of the Holy Spirit in this church today. I release the power of the Holy Spirit to come against the devil and to come against his attacks and to come against his deception and to come against his lies. And I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that we all would be encouraged and challenged by the power of the Holy Spirit this week as we go and that we would be an impactful person in the kingdom. And we give you the praise and we give you the glory and we give you the thanks in Jesus' name.